right, we've got lucky caller number four, Marcus, on the line. If he answers this question, he wins a new car. Let's do this. Okay, for a new car, name the only actor to appear in... And now a message from our sponsor. With 24-7 support and quick and easy claims, Progressive protects what matters most. Progressive. Films all in the same year. Wait, sorry, I, I didn't hear the question. Three seconds, Marcus. Yeah, no, but there was an ad in the middle. He didn't answer. But I didn't hear anything. Oh, Marcus, you dropped it in the dirt. Progressive. There's never a bad time for great protection. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Morning, good afternoon, good evening, North Stream. Good ready. This Eagle Eyes on Tech. I am Eagle Falcon. We've got quite a bit to talk about, including YouTube news, the Motorola Razor, and Apple finally, finally, after 10,000 years realizing their defective keyboard was defective. What a concept. Intel, however, has a different problem. A new hardware vulnerability has been found on their latest Cascade Lake chips. Cascade Lake, if you are unaware, is... It doesn't matter because now my page is gone. That's great. (laughs) Don't you love it when that happens? You click somewhere and everything you had is gone. Yep, that's gone. Wonderful. In any case, zombie load, like all the other Intel vulnerability defects, is yet another hardware vulnerability that allows malicious programming to be able to get access to information that it should not be able to get. I'm now trying to quickly get the information. Cascade Lake is, in fact, the most recent processor. The most recently announced. Actually, most of these are, they're all Xeons, actually. This particular family is actually all the Xeons from Q2 of 2019. So... While this doesn't affect you, the end user, as much, this does affect the server market quite a bit. And yes, this is actually going to affect the high-end Core i9s that are going to be coming out soon. So the new Core i9s will, in fact, launch with a vulnerability. With a hardware vulnerability already in it. Wonderful. That's that's wonderful. Almost as wonderful as Google turning out to have a internal project they called Project Nightingale. That its sole purpose in life is to group up all the personal health data they could possibly get their hands on. And as it turns out, the U.S. Department of Health and Services is... Uh, Not thrilled about the idea of Google having access to all that kind of information. But, but, you you know, it's okay. You can trust 
Google with the medical data they have that you didn't know they had. You can trust them. I mean, come on. What's the worst that can happen? Like, this raises all kinds of other special questions. Like, for starters, this does exp- this does shine more light onto the reason as to why Google wants their hands on Fitbit. It makes sense now, doesn't it? Why do they want, want Fitbit? Oh, it's to advance Project Nightingale. Yay. Ugh. <sighs> I I just I'm I'm actually legitimately curious what people think about this. Like I think I am the wrong person to ask about this kind of thing cuz I know everything I do is already tracked. Even before I started streaming and and f- podcasting and all this and basically putting a large chunk of my life out in the public. Before I even started doing that myself, I knew that Facebook was tracking everything. I knew Amazon had all sorts of cookies on my computers to see what am I shopping for? What does he have interest in? He's a really boring weirdo. So, I mean, I'm the wrong person to ask. I'm curious what you, the listener, thinks about this. And unfortunately today, I couldn't live stream the recording of this, so I don't have a chat to ask. But even then, the Twitch chat normally is also fairly tech-savvy listeners. Actually, anyone listening to this is normally pretty tech-savvy. But it's those who aren't. I'm curious what their opinion is. Tracking what kind of coffee you like is one thing, but tracking to see exactly how much you exercise, that's, it gets a little bit more personal, doesn't it? At least I would think so. But again, I'm the wrong person to ask. Let's shift gears quite a bit here. Over to the YouTube side of Google. The terms and service of YouTube have been altered. And while most of it's just kind of, eh, whatever. There is one tweak that is catching a lot of attention. The wording now exists within the, ter- within the YouTube terms and services. To say, and I quote, YouTube may terminate its legal agreement with you if the provision of the service to you by Google is, in YouTube's opinion, no longer commercially viable. I'm sorry, that's what the line used to say. It now says, and I quote, YouTube may terminate your access or your Google account's access to all or part of the service if Google, uh, I'm sorry, if YouTube believes in its sole discretion that provision of the service to you is no longer commercially viable. Let that sink in. They may terminate your access or your Google account's access 
to all or part of the services service of YouTube if YouTube believes that providing service to you is no longer commercially viable. There are no asterisks there. As far as everyone else is concerned and has reported on, now granted, I have not personally read the user agreement. I personally am involved in uh, in other such legalese and whatnot, and looking over the YouTube terms and services, I'm, I'm not going to lie. My motivation to do so is pretty, pretty low. But considering the fact that no one is pointing out that the terms of services defines what commercially viable is, that means that it is an open-ended description. Let that sink in for a second. That's rather concerning. Now, is it something that you should raise pitchforks and torches about? No. But it is something to keep in the back of your mind. As this, that, and the other thing is released by YouTube. And you just wonder, hmm. Will this service no longer exist? And in fact, in that same sort of regard, YouTube has also gone on the record recently and said that they have no obligation to host anyone's video. This also goes on top of the new uh, requirement of YouTube uploaders to put in whether their content is made for children or not. Huh. That's kind of... Huh. And then on top of all that, you had the... What seemed like a YouTube live stream crisis in the fact that the automated anti-spam systems were banning people's Google accounts. Not just their YouTube accounts, but banning their access to their Google accounts. That means their Gmails. That means their messenger services. That means Google Calendar. That means anything Google offers to your account. And this was being done if you were spamming emotes. This particular incident, the one that was the most noted, I'm sure there are other incidents, but the one that was most noted was in the live stream of one YouTube star, Markiplier. And he was pissed. Can you blame the guy, though? His fans were not only losing the ability to get in touch with him, but losing their history with their account, losing their videos on their, if any of them had videos on YouTube, and losing access to their own email. Since then, though, YouTube did finally listen and reinstate the the accounts after realizing, oh, our system is banning people for daring to use emotes. You know, we kind of had a not nearly as bad of a situation as this on uh, on Twitch, but we had something similar. 
with the whole global ban system. And granted, it was very hard to get global banned. But you want to know how streamers prevented it? We used our own anti-spam features. Our own bots like Ankbot, like Nightbot. There are methods that we used and controlled our own dials for how to moderate our own channels. Whereas YouTube, their automated system took it into their own hands and just assumed the content creators couldn't handle their own chat. Granted, I know some Twitch channels can be degenerates and don't reel in their own rogue chats, but the overwhelming majority do. Does YouTube have that little faith in their own content creators? Hmm. It kind of makes you think. All right, one last story before I go to the first break. Disney Plus did, in fact, launch this week, and it brought in over 10 million new signups on day one. 10 million sounds like a lot, but is that really, really, really a lot? Well, I mean, Netflix has 50 million users, but that's their current active users. They've had years to build that up. Disney Plus for 10 million it did it in 24 hours. Wow. This is the era we're in now. And I've said this a number of times, but you really do need to let this sink in. That it's no longer about getting something like a cable package. Letting, uh, just getting over 200 channels. You are now buying each channel individually, which, oddly enough, for the longest time, people wanted. The only problem is that they're not in one place. You now have to remember that Star Wars is only accessible on Disney. That, what was I looking up earlier? What was it? Uh, That uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! The Dark Side of the Dimensions is only accessible on Stars. Which, oddly enough, can be accessed on Amazon, but it's not part of the Amazon Prime thing. What is it about the Amazon Prime thing while I'm while I'm on the topic? I I can't find anything I've wanted to watch on Amazon Prime Video. Anything I've had any remote interest in watching on Amazon Prime Video is not part of the package and has to be bought separate. Like Amazon has gone out of their way to make Prime Video a direct competitor with Netflix. And it ha- as far as I can tell, it has nothing. I'm sure for plenty of people out there, it has something, but God freak. I, ah. 
Then again, I'm also a weirdo. I've admitted I'm a weirdo. I'll say this, though. When it comes to the era of multiple streaming services, you're going to find out once you're done paying $10 for this service, $10 for that service, $10 for that service, $10 for that service, $10 for that service, you might not actually be saving any kind of money. And in fact, if you do not have the right box, this could be a mess. Whoever nails the smart TV box, whoever manages to get all these services to play flawlessly with each other and even break the boundary. So that, for example, if I say I want to watch South Park, I don't have to know that that's on Hulu. I can just go to the box and say watch South Park. Whoever nails that, and I know Apple's getting close, but if a service nails that, I guarantee you they will reign as champions in the modern TV world. And the thing is, is that the the dream of one service to rule them all, it's dead. The dream of just having Netflix or Hulu and everything you want is right there is dead. There is no way that a service like Disney Plus with this kind of success is going to go unnoticed. There is no way that saying HBO is just going to say, all right, we give, we'll just join in with Netflix, whatevs. Everyone is going to make their own service. And everyone is going to try and charge between 5 to $10 per month for it. And you are going to find out that if you want it all, you will be paying as much, if not more, than what your cable bill was. We're going to take a quick break here when we come back. The MacBook Pro 16 inches reel, the Motorola Razor, and more. Welcome back, Eagle Eyes on Tech. I'm Eagle Falcon. So... Vape Nation is under attack some more because, of course, it is. As more and more people put THC and find out that the chemicals they're using to put THC into vape devices are, in fact, causing them to suffer major, major lung damage. And the controversy still reigns on as to whether these devices should be banned or not. And if you're curious, in my eyes, I think they should be under the same sort of restrictions as cigarettes. Because when push comes to shove, they are, in fact, 
their nicotine delivery devices just like cigarettes. The end. But in the same sort of war as we move closer and closer to... Treating vape devices as though they are as dangerous as crack cocaine. We have Apple banning vaping apps from the app store. (sighs) On one hand. Oh, God, Apple banning apps, free speech and all that. And then on the other hand. What in the actual is a vape app? (laughs) What is that? (laughs) I know you're not going to tell me it's an app where I can hold my iPhone up to my face and take a fat vape off my phone. I sure as heck know that ain't it. (laughs) What is a vaping app? What, is it just access to a store to buy vapes? Does that mean that Amazon and other such e-commerce sites get banned from the App Store if they if they have vapes? I'm so confused. What is a vape app? Oh. The article then, of course, keeps going on to say uh, there's been 2,172 cases and 42 deaths confirmed by the FDA and the CDC in regarding to e-cigarette or vape products that contain THC. THC, which I've been saying this whole time, I never explained what it was, is the active ingredient in marijuana. I mean, first off, you go do you, but on the other hand, the e-cigarette was originally intended for delivering nicotine, not THC. Like, that to me is part of the problem here. (sighs) Microsoft had their huge X0119, or, I'm sorry, 119... X019 event, which is their big Xbox conference. I guess they call it the XO conference. I'm not going to lie. I didn't realize that that Xbox had its own thing. But I digress. I am going to go down the list of the announcements that were made... By The Verge. The the list being from The Verge. But these are the things that are, that are coming out. For, that came out from the... You, you know what I mean, okay? I'm stumbling around the word. These are the announcements, all right? The Xbox chief says that Project Scarlet will not be out of the position on power or price. They say that it's going to go head-to-head. With the PlayStation 5. Their last-gen console will be competing up with the PS5. That being said, however... 
come on. Come on, Microsoft. We know. We know you're working on a new Xbox. Oh, wait. Maybe that is what Project Scarlet is. Wait, I think it is. I'm confusing Project Scarlet with the Xbox One X. Okay, that's my bad. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. This The Project Scarlet will compete with the PlayStation 5. Uh, in other spoiler news, they will probably contain almost the same hardware. Because both of them are going to AMD to make the hardware. It doesn't take a genius to figure this out. Anyway, the Final Fantasy series is coming to the Xbox is coming to the Xbox Game Pass. Almost every mainline Final Fantasy since 7 is included. Now, my question with this, and I am currently stalling for time as I go look it up, are these the ones after 7 or before 7? The correct answer is after 7. 7, 8 remastered, 9, 10 HD remaster, 10, 2 HD remaster, 12, the Zodiac Age, 13, 13, 2, 13 Lightning Returns, and 15, of which about half of these you should play. Actually, wait. Should play, should play, should play, should play, should not play. Actually, that one you should play. All right. Should play, should play. Should play, should not. Actually, all but two. I take that back. 13-2 and Lightning Returns. You definitely should not play. Those are bad. I'm sure they have fans, but they ain't me and they ain't anyone I know. Uh. Anyway, Halo Reach is coming to PC on December 3rd. It is the first of many, many, many Halo games that are going to be coming to the PC. Microsoft is cutting the prices on the Xbox One consoles, controllers, and first-party games for Black Friday. That actually could be interesting. Though, granted, I it is hard for me to, to recommend buying an Xbox One. But then again... I don't know. Hardware deals... Uh, Microsoft is offering 150 off all the Xbox One X standalone consoles and 100 bucks off any Xbox One S bundle. Now these are only all the bundles. The Xbox One S all digital edition bundle will be even cheaper, down to 149. I still can't convince myself that I could recommend the digital only version of the Xbox One to anyone. I just can't. Microsoft is going to launch the xCloud in 2020. And PS4 controllers and PC streaming will be on the way with xCloud. That is the cloud gaming streaming service that Microsoft is having. And yes, we'll get to Stadia. I guarantee you we're going to get to Stadia. Oh, do I have things to say about Stadia? xCloud's preview now has 50 games, which is more than Stadia's. Again, we'll get to Stadia. The Life is Life is Strange developers Don't Nod, I believe is their name, unveils a new mystery game. Tell me why. They made very interesting games, very surreal games. Rare unveils Everwild, a new exclusive game for the Xbox and Windows 10. Whew. Okay, 
Good. It's going to be coming to Windows 2. Is it bad that that's my first question for anything like that? Hopefully it's good. Rare has been on a... Uh, has not been doing well. They They need something to help them. And Obsidian's <laughs> Obsidian is making a a game called Grounded, which is a survival game crossed with Honey I Shrunk the Kids. <laughs> and my phone just uh just tripped there with a weird message. It was kind of funny. Actually, my phone has a whole lot of notifications on it. But in any case, there you go. That is everything from the Xbox event. And there's some there's some interesting news in there. But for the most part, I could care less. Because for me, anytime I could just get on the get on the Xbox, I'd rather just get it for the PC. I'm I'm just saying. Micron has released the world's first one terabyte micro SD card, making me and using 200 gig hard drives inside my servers feel even more like I have no idea what I'm doing than I actually do. Although, you know what the real problem is with the one terabyte micro SD card? Now I have to actually pay attention when friends and family come to me with an eBay listing and saying, they found this one terabyte SD card for 40 bucks. Is this legit? Because before it would be, they found this one terabyte SD. No. That's as far as I needed to get before. Now I got to listen to the whole sentence. Okay, real talk, though. This actually is a really, really big deal and is very impressive. And is just another push to show that flash memory is going to... I mean, what else do you need to say? No word on price yet, he says, glancing through the article very quickly to see if there's a dollar sign anywhere in the article, which he's 90% certain there isn't, and there isn't. But with very good read and write speeds on it. Not excellent, but, you know, 100 megabytes per second and writes up to 95 megabytes per second. That ain't bad. Not by any stretch of the imagination. That is pretty good. And that's going to be really nice for the standalone cameras out there. Kudos to you, Micron. Well done. Also, kudos to Motorola for having a launch event that literally surprised no one. Has there been a phone more leaked than the Motorola Razor? I don't think there is. But yeah, everything was true. They made a folding phone. It's th- it's 6.2 or 6.3? I think I said 6.3, but I'm pretty sure it's 6.2. Aha! All right, there we go. 
had to actually go to the Motorola site because the article I had did not have the internal screen size. With the uh, all right, anyway, six point two inches foldable P O L E D screen at a resolution of twenty one forty two by. 876, which is a 21 by 9 aspect ratio. On the outside of it, you have a 2.7 inch screen, which is a 4 by 3 aspect ratio. That is also G-O-L-E-D. It supports up to 15 watts of turbocharging, which, yes, that is pretty low. A 20... A 2,500 milliamp battery, 6 gigabytes of RAM, 128 gigs of internal storage, a Snapdragon 710 octa-core processor, which actually is a little low-end. A built-in fingerprint reader, accelerometer, yada, 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 Android Pie, and all the other jazz. And of course, as we all heard... One thousand five hundred dollars. Yeah. One thousand five hundred dollars. For admittedly a groundbreaking phone with admittedly a very unique hinge design that will more than likely be more durable than the Galaxy Fold. With a screen that does not have a crease, unlike the Galaxy Fold. But it's still $1,500 to be able to have a flip phone smartphone. When push comes to shove, it is a $300 phone with a $1,200 premium price to be shaped like an iconic flip phone. That's it. And I don't want to slam it too hard because this is a ground breaking design it is a great advancement but for the average user this price is unjustifiable there is no way you can justify shelling out this much money for what when push comes to shove, is just a smartphone. Yeah, it looks great. Yeah, it's eye-catching. But for the average user, I'm sorry. The cost just doesn't justify it. Kind of like how uh, Google Stadia, which by the time this airs, will have launched to the uh to the founders is going to launch with uh, a lot less features i'm going to go down the list from ars technica 
Stadia, which launches on Monday the 18th, will not have the following. On day one, PC Chrome gameplay won't support 4K, HDR, or 5.1 surround. Those features will be added on 2020 for PC players. Oof. Stream Connect, which allows one player's Stadia viewpoint to be integrated with another's with another player's stream, will not be available in any launch titles. The first game to use it is expected to launch by the end of the year. State Share, which lets users share save files via links and crowdplay, which allows for quick jump-in multiplayer through a YouTube stream, won't be integrated into games until next year. At launch, Google Assist in, Assistant integration will be limited to the ability to turn on the TV and start a game. Soon after launch, the Assist button on the Stadia controller will work on Chromecast or on Chromecast's Stadia home screen. Assistance support on PC and phones and during gameplay will come sometime after that. Family sharing which lets you buy a game once and share it with accounts held by family members, is not supported on day one. You'll have to buy games for your child's account. The feature is planned for addition, quote, early next year. There is no Stadia UI for achievements or achievement notifications on day one, but if you happen to perform an in-game feat, that would earn a specific achievement, it will show up when the feature is rolled out shortly after launch. Chromecast Ultra units included in the Founder slash Premier bundles are the only ones that will work with Stadia on day one. Other Chromecast Ultra units will be able to play Stadia games after an over-the-air update soon after launch. The Buddy Pass that lets early adopters offer a free three-month Stadia trial to a friend will be sent about two weeks after you receive your bundle, barring some unknown unknowns popping up. The list keeps going, by the way. Currently, the phone is needed for initial setup and buying games. Buying games through a Chromecast Ultra or the web is not supported and the AMA gave no indication if or when it would be added. Mobile support will be limited to Google Pixel phones and Chrome OS tablets at launch. A timeline for general iOS and Android support is still to be determined, but Pixel will likely be the only mobile support this year. According to the AMA, Google says it wants Stadia to run on every screen eventually. It still goes on! The Stadia controller's wireless functions will only work with Chromecast Ultra at launch. To use that controller with a phone or tablet, you'll need to plug it in with a USB-C cable. Generic USB controllers will also work with Stadia on PC or phones, but not on a Chromecast. Only 12 titles will be available for purchase on Stadia at launch, with 14 more promised by the end of the year, a handful of other previously announced launch window titles on Stadia are planned for early 2020.
Who's excited for Stadia? Are you? This is not the PR you want on launch day. The last thing Google wants is for any media outlet to read off the list I just read off. This is Fallout 76 levels of screwing up your launch. Look, I'm not going to tell you how to use your money. I'm not going to tell you what to do with your life. But you absolutely should not invest money in Stadia. Just don't. Because here's how Google operates. They're going to try and make this work. They're going to fail at it. Because they're already failing at it. The blasted thing isn't even out yet. And it's failing. There's already a laundry list of problems with it. And you know what Google does when a project is deemed unsalvageable? They kill it. What do you do with your virtual games that only work on Stadia when Stadia is dead? Oh. They're gone. Cloud gaming might be the future at some point soon. But right now, in 2019, going into 2020, a better investment is either A, a cheap gaming rig, B, an Xbox, C, a PlayStation, or D, a Nintendo Switch. Because I guarantee you then the latency will be a minimum will be a non-factor. Because it's local. You get a switch, hey, you can just pick it up and take it with you. Just like that. It's hardware that even if, and actually more importantly, when Nintendo stops supporting a Switch, or when Microsoft stops supporting the Xbox One, or when Sony stops supporting the PlayStation 4, you can still play the game. Wow. That is the biggest problem with cloud gaming. Because when it's gone... You have nothing. You have a controller that works with nothing. We're going to take our last break. When we come back, the MacBook Pro 16-inch, the AMD Juggernaut processors, and an interesting Sony patent. 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 That's the word. How did I end up here? Welcome back, Eagle Eyes on Tech. I'm Eagle Falcon. 
So the MacBook Pro has been a joke of what it used to be. But here's the thing. Apple used to be the king of laptops. From the iBook to the PowerBooks. They pushed the way forward. They brought us Wi-Fi. They brought us backlit keyboards. They brought us beautiful enclosures. They brought us usability. They brought us upgradability. And everything started going downhill ever since the MacBook Pro Retina display. When things started getting soldered onto the board for the purpose of being thinner. And then things got even worse with the Touch Bar MacBook Pros. Because then they introduced the Butterfly Keyboard. The Butterfly Keyboard that for four generations was deemed the world's worst most unreliable keyboard in a professional product and was an insult an insult to the professionals who used them and that's the thing that hurts the most it's not the fact that these are rich idiots it's the fact that people needed these laptops to go and use for actual work on the go, to actually use with mostly Final Cut, because anyone else who was using any program other than Final Cut abandoned the Mac platform long ago because Apple abandoned them first. Like, that's the thing. Whenever I think... This is what infuriates me the most about Apple. Because Apple used to make hardware that made PC users jealous. Be honest. Look at the iMac G4. You wish your desktop looked that good. Look at the Power Max. You wish your box you bought at Best Buy was that user accessible. Any of the PowerBooks, any of the of the iBooks. They were beautiful. They were amazing. They were user-friendly. And what they are now, they look kind of nice. They haven't really updated their looks in a while, but in the end, it's filled with defective keyboards with your storage soldered onto the board so that if you're If anything happens, you lose all your data. And if you didn't back it up, it's your fault. You know, God forbid that Apple treats their professional users like professional users. They're making steps with the new Mac Pro. Well, at least when it comes to the 16-inch MacBook Pro, they finally killed the butterfly switches. It now uses a more traditional keyboard. So the keyboard is not doomed to fail. I still hate this laptop, though. 
I cannot like this laptop because they decided to change what was a glaring defect. And that's the thing that it should that it should be referred to. It's not a flaw. It is a defect. It is an absolute failure of design. And for four years, Apple said it's good enough. It is an insult to someone who, re- who repairs professional computer equipment, or at least used to, for a living. The RAM side on the board is still an insult. And yes, every single PC manufacturer that does the same thing, because they're out there, is just as guilty of this, and they still piss me off just as much. The storage side on the board is unexcusable. And is still present. And you know what the best part is? There is space in that laptop. They could fix these problems. They could. They actually could have taken this space and put removable storage. They could have put removable RAM. They could have put socketed processor. They could have put socketed GPU. They could have put a removable battery. But no, they don't care. This is not a professional laptop. It's not. And anyone who says it is, is an idiot. I'm not even going to be negotiable about that. Because once again, when it comes to professional equipment, the number one key thing is uptime. And if any component on this board, if the RAM dies... If the storage has has a weird blip, if any resistor dies, if any capacitor dies on that motherboard, you lose all your data and uptime is lost. And field repairability is impossible on this laptop because Apple has no idea what uptime means. Yeah, I know it's just a laptop. Yeah, I know it's just Apple. But these here's the problem. Because so many people for so many years looked up to Apple, myself included, as the gold standard for what products should be. The fact that Apple does this kind of garbage and people look to Apple and say, that's considered okay, is infuriating. Because this is the reason that gaming laptops have RAM soldered onto the board. Apple's the reason that's considered okay, and it's not. Period. The latitudes, the precisions, the elite books, the think pads that are doing this kind of nonsense too. And I know the ThinkPads are for a fact. I'm not sure about the Latitudes and the Elite books that are soldering on RAM onto the board. It's all Apple's fault that it's considered okay. And it's not. Period. End of story. Am I clear enough yet? Yeah. Kudos to you, Apple. Good job. You fixed a glaring failure 
that you let go for four years and you knew was a failure for four years. You finally fixed it. Good job. You're still incompetent trash. And the fact that you're the same company that made such historic, beautiful pieces of equipment and pushed forward so many good things just makes this so much more infuriating. The fact that you think this is okay. Let's talk about the AMD Ryzen 9. Now that I'm done tearing, blasting Apple a new one. The new Ryzen 3950X, the top tier Ryzen CPU is out. And, you know, I'll just keep it short. It's the new best processor. Just straight up. 16 cores, it sips power. Its clock speed is insane. You can get some pretty good clocks out of it with some minor overclocking it's and it even keeps up with intel's 9900k first excuse me for single threaded performance wait no not the 900k which, which one is it the highest end one 9980 It is the 9900K. Now, the thing is here, the 9900K is currently available at $900. The, the 3950X is $750. This is driving me nuts. Is it actually the 9900K? I could have swore that it... That, um... That was not the highest-end Intel chip on the mainstream. Okay, yeah, it is the 9900K. All right. I'm thinking something completely different. Anyway, 9900K, that's the that's the current highest end mainstream processor. The 3950X, even though it's $250 higher, it keeps up with it in single threaded performance and more importantly, it destroys it in multi-thread performance, not just because it's a 16 it has double the cores. But because of its architecture, it's able to use those cores and multi-threaded workloads even better. If you're looking for an all-around machine, if you're debating an old Threadripper or anything like that, this chip, at what is admittedly a pretty high price, could do the work of two machines. I'm not even exaggerating when I say that. It is impressive. And I think the the existence of this chip is exactly why the new Threadrippers are being dubbed as content creator chips. Speaking of content creator chips, MSI made a whoopsie doodles and accidentally revealed the existence of the Threadripper 3990X, which is, as was heavily rumored, the 64-core monstrosity. That AMD is working on. Unfortunately, we don't know what its clock speed is. And that is actually the big question mark. What is the clock speed of it? Because the Epic chip, if I remember right, it's it's like a 
sub two gig or sub three gigahertz chip. Is the thirty nine ninety X gonna be as high as the other chips? Because the other chips got up to three point eight, if I remember right, which is really silly. It really is. I'm actually gonna see if I can zoom and enhance in on this picture enough. Enhance. Enhance. Unfortunately, trying to zoom in for some reason is making it smaller. I can't tell. The picture's too blurry. All right, and weirder news. Netflix, HBO, and other cable giants are trying to figure out ways to come after those who are sharing passwords. Yes, you are the ones who are responsible for killing streaming media, those of you sharing passwords with your millennial kids and whatnot. Yes, you are the problem. So they're debating prompting password resets and trying to figure out two-factor authentication. I mean, honestly, let me give you some advice here. All right? Real talk. Real real talk, Netflix. You are going to shoot yourselves in the foot if you do this. I, I get it. I get what you're trying to go for, but hear me out. Those who want to get your content for free will find a way. Those people are not going to buy a subscription to Netflix. They're going to pirate it first before they contemplate buying a Netflix subscription. And even then, you know what they're going to do? They're going to find a way to bypass your attempts to stop them. I have seen this time and time and time again. Just, Just trust me. Don't do it. Just just focus on your content library, for starters. Sony has submitted patents for game cartridges. Yeah, I'm just going to let that sit there. All right, they, they have plans for game cartridges. There we go. PS5 using cartridges confirmed. Okay, yeah, I can't just leave it there, can I? You know, it's kind of funny to see Sony, who started the whole thing about using... Well, not... They didn't actually start it, but they were the first ones to really say, our game console will only use discs. Only use optical media. And now, quite possibly, if this is actually a patent to use for the PS5 and not just a patent to patent... Which, it could be a patent to patent, and just not mean anything. It could mean that Sony finally caves in and realizes, you know, we can do better with cartridges that have terabytes of data. Heck, they already got a terabyte inside an SD card. How hard could it be to put a terabyte onto onto a freaking cartridge? You wouldn't even need all of it. That's the thing. Just 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 let it just let it be known. 
PS5 with cartridges. You heard it here first. That was our last Burb story of the day because I accidentally mixed, mixed up my notes and I thought I had one more story, but I don't. So there you go. Sony making game cartridges going full circle is the last Burb story of the day, the weirdest story of the day. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Eagle Eyes on Tech. Make sure to check out my daily podcast, The Early Burb Briefing, which you can find at any place you found this podcast. iHeartRadio, iTunes, everywhere. Every freaking where. Also, make sure to check out my Twitch page at twitch.tv slash eaglefalcon. Take care, rest well, and I hope you have a good day. Bye-bye! I normally use these after the thing um little thing to just make some crack some jokes but you know I actually had a thought during the end song we already have basically confirmed the PlayStation 5 will be able to play Blu-rays so the PlayStation 5 is pretty much all but confirmed to have an optical disk drive the only other thing it would make sense for them to use cartridges on if this isn't just a trolling patent, which, again, it very well could be, would be a portable. Are they planning another PlayStation portable? Hmm. You know, I wouldn't put it past them considering the shocking success of the switch some last minute thoughts for you there all, all joking aside that actually could be a thought that goes somewhere hey we get it you don't want to be hearing a progressive commercial right now so let us tell you something you do want to hear you are powerful you're a warrior who bathes in your enemy's tears then you step out of that refreshing tear bath and into a bathrobe that somehow looks good on you yeah you can pull off a robe. There. Don't you feel better? You'll also feel better when you save money for driving safely with Snapshot from Progressive. Mmm, savings you can use to buy more robes. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Snapshot not available in California, North Carolina, or from all agents.